0: Uh -huh. Uh huh What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me, as he does each and every time, my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast. Joining me today in a very, very dapper robe, Marcus Smart-esque, it's the one and only Greg Menacus. What's going on, man?
1: Man, after those last three games in that road trip, I felt like I had to bring the road back. You know, we had the (laughs) we had the full Marcus Smart experience on that road trip, culminating with me texting you with about three minutes left. I think it's time for Marcus to take a seat, and then he goes on to make some of the biggest plays in the game. Classic
0: Marcus. It's it's the most Marcus thing ever. We're going to talk about this more as we get into this podcast here. But I did basically, excuse me, I did basically the same thing on on Twitter, where in the first half, Marcus Smart, I think, took four straight threes at one point. And it was like, all right, Marcus, what? what are we doing? Mm -hmm. And then I think he immediately had three straight assists. So, you know, it's, it's just, it is what it is. We'll talk about it some more, but you know, the Celtics have wrapped up their six game road trip, which we're going to dig into here with six lessons or six takeaways that we had from this road trip. And then we're going to actually look ahead as the Celtics have, this has been a really weird time. in the schedule where they've had kind of back to back long home stands. They are on the verge starting Friday night with a, two-game home series against the thriving Orlando Magic, who have won four straight games. Uh, they will play them over the weekend, Friday and Sunday. We'll take a look at the homestand as a whole uh, at the end of this podcast, so head that way if that's what you're looking for. But first, let's take a look back at these six games for the Boston Celtics, and let's set the scene here. Celtics go on a six-game road trip. They end it twenty-two and seven as their record, still first place in the Eastern Conference, still first place in the NBA. They go four and two on the road trip, and so we're going to go through it six different lessons that Greg and I took away from what was a pretty tough road trip. And let's let's start here, Greg. Going into this road trip, Celtics were playing basically out of their mind up until about that Miami home and home when they started to see a little bit slow down. But I think one of my biggest takeaways from from this particular road trip, they're not invincible, but they're damn good. You go four and two against the six teams that they had to play, the Brooklyn Nets, the Toronto Raptors the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Lakers. That's six teams that we all expect to be playing basketball in the playoffs and come equipped with, I'm just going to read a quick list here and then turn it over to you. Here's just a quick list of 13 players that the Celtics played in these last six games who have either been All-Stars or all NBA. Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. And that's omitting several players that either could be future all-stars or high-level impact players that they came across. So I know we started this just by talking about, man, what a roller coaster that that Lakers game was the other night. I think I saw you on on Twitter. Is this a I, I, it was a choke job mixed with a comeback. Is it a yeah. choke back? What's yeah. the, I, I don't know what the hell to make of that game. That that was. It was entertaining. It was stressful. Uh, but you know, it was a game that was certainly all over the place. And so I know the end of the road trip didn't feel uh, didn't feel great going one and two in those last three games. But I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, four and two against the competition they faced, I feel like as Celtics fans, we should still walk away from this feeling pretty good.
1: Yeah, obviously you have these thoughts after we smoke the Phoenix Suns who, by the way, in my opinion, aren't as good as everyone has been making them out to be. They were one of the teams where I bet heavily on the under for their over under total in the season. I just thought that they got exposed last year in the playoffs. So when we beat the Suns, I was a little bit wary of that because I was like, oh, we're tootsie rolling on the floor. You know, is is this a little bit of um, fool's gold? You know, us thinking that we're better than we are, and then we go ahead and get smacked by the Warriors, get smacked by the Clippers, and we almost have that historic meltdown against the Lakers, the choke back game. Now, with that, I think that the Celtics at this point, right? You don't want a team to peak too early, and it really felt like the first six weeks of the season we were playing some of the best basketball that I had ever seen, and I was like, is this can we sustain this for 82 games? And it doesn't really seem likely that any team is going to be able to mm-hmm. sustain that level of play for 82 games, right? So they're going to be lulls in the season. You don't want your team to peak too early, as we saw last season with the Celtics squad. They weren't great at the beginning of the year, and then it didn't matter because at the end of the year, they started playing some of their best basketball and made it all the way to the NBA Finals with a chance to win it. So that's kind of what went through my mind on this road trip. was like, okay, it's it's good to see that we have stuff to work on. Now, obviously, we're building in Rob Williams coming back. But to see that, okay, Missoula ball, at times, we just forget how to play that way. I think Tatum had a quote at some point during the trip saying that playing that way is a choice. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of like our own experiences playing ball sometimes you just like don't have the energy to pass cut screen and do all the stuff that, that offense requires it's yeah. fun it's exciting but there are times where i'm sure these guys are human beings they're not robots who always forget that they they're actual human beings and their energy has dips and lulls um just just like the season's gonna have dips yeah. and lulls and that's kind of what i saw is they were just tired and when the the physical and mental fatigue kind of seeps in at the end of the trip it's going to show on the court, and that's what happened at the end of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter in the Lakers game, in those two games against the Warriors and Clippers.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you heard the quotes from from a lot of the Celtics players, specifically Jalen Brown, at the end of the Lakers game, it's "Let's get the f out of here, let's get home." Like it, they were exasperated. You know what I mean? At, at that point, they were exhausted after after that trip. And to your point, there's times where you you know what the right play is mentally. You're mm-hmm. there. You're like, yeah, this is the cut yep, this is the time that I, you know, rescreen or I I do, you know, whatever it might be, or I rotate on defense, but sometimes your body just doesn't follow, you know? So, so it's, it's 100% fair, I think, to to look at it from that perspective. And that's why I I think in the grand scheme, when you, you walk away four and two, that's a victory. That's a victory in, in today's NBA going up against this level of teams. So while you can be disappointed how it looked a little bit at, at, at different times, uh, I think just keeping a, a certain perspective on it definitely does help. And and I think as we head into this homestand, you're going to see a little bit of the Celtics round back into some of that form. And as we talked about, and we'll linger over a lot of these topics, the imminent return of Rob Williams and, of course, Al Horford coming back, which will also be a theme on this trip, uh, are going to be things that are going to be massively important. And so with that, let's actually transition to our second lesson from the road And it felt like a couple of weeks ago You know, we had written off That the Celtics needed Another big man with the emergence of Luke Cornett I'm going to put it back on the table Here for a little bit, are we positive The Celtics don't need one more Big man, and this is going to come like a, a, In a way that, come out in a way that Feels like I might be talking out of the side of both sides Of my mouth a little bit, because I do think in one term Blake Griffin deserves a certain Amount of praise for this trip because I thought he really showed that he had some juice left. But when you do look at, You know the games that really stick out as should these be concerning areas for the Celtics, a lot of that had to focus on the heavy amount of minutes that both Blake Griffin and Luke Cornett had to play and the drop defense that you kind of have to play with those guys on the court and the way that the defense was exposed in both the Golden State game as well as the L.A. Clippers game. And that's not to say they're the only things that went wrong in those games. There There was a bunch of things that went wrong in both of these games. But I do think it's an area that is maybe not a massive glaring concern but when you really look at the end game and i always say that the Celtics are in the end game now it's all about what is those what are those moments that can expose you at the wrong time this could be an area that maybe is not a, a an immediate you know cause for concern as we got to wait and see kind of what we got with rob coming back here but i do think it's an area that brad steven's needs to keep his ear out for potential opportunities that could become available
1: yeah, and I think the, I hear you on the point saying like you might be talking out two sides of your mouth here because in my opinion, I don't think the Celtics need to do anything. But when you bring up the Greg Monroe rule, which if you would, you want to explain the Greg Monroe yeah,
0: rule? Yeah, like, so so this is somewhat what I was alluding to when there's, you're preparing yourself for a certain moment. So Zach Lowe has talked about this before, but let's flashback a couple of years ago to the Kawhi Leonard Raptors against the Philadelphia 76ers. If you look at game seven, Joel Embiid is a monster in that game. He plays 45 minutes and 12 seconds, and he's a plus 10. His backup in that game was Greg Monroe. Old friend Greg Monroe. Celtics is very familiar with Greg Monroe. He played 1 minute and 41 seconds exactly in that game and was a minus 9. So, while not the absolute only reason that the, you know, that the Raptors go on to win by 2, as you can see, that's it's pretty tough that you can't rest your best player for more than a minute and a half and have that replacement player, you know, be a minus 9. And so for me, when I think ahead to the Celtics and in the playoffs, listen, if Rob and Al are healthy, this is a moot point. It does it does not matter. This is in case of emergency in case of, you know, Rob not being able to hold up physically. Al's age, which I think we even saw in the playoffs, even as Al was playing last year, you could tell the days where there was only one day off in between versus two days off. That it wasn't always quite the same Al, which is to be expected when you're 36 years old. So and let
1: me jump let me, let me jump in real quick. Let's go. So you're saying that if Robert Williams is healthy, you don't think we need another big man?
0: Yes, I mean, I, I think I think if Robert Williams is is gonna, and you have about two months to figure that out before the trade mm-hmm. deadline. If he's going to be healthy, then you just you just ride with Al and, and, and Rob Williams, and that's fine. My concern is if one of those two isn't available and we're going you know, 35, 40 minutes a night on one of them, number one, that's going to give either one of them a high probability of breaking down at some point in the playoffs. So that's a risky proposition, mm-hmm. is that if you need to have somebody that can play 10 to 15 minutes, I think Luke and Blake can do that in the regular season. Absolutely no problem. I have no problem with the regular season. But I think when you get to the semifinals, the conference finals, the finals, if that's what you're relying on for 10 to 15 minutes, you're either going to find yourselves at a disadvantage with a lot of small ball lineups with Grant Williams playing in the five, or I think you have the potential to get exposed with them, with those two getting more and more minutes, the deeper you get into a playoff run.
1: That's fair. And I think what we saw on in this six game stretch, right? Blake Griffin can do a lot of what Al Horford can do on the offensive end. We saw towards the end of the trip, he started shooting the three a little bit more, and it just wasn't there. He had a couple of nice games where the, where it looked it looked good, but for the most part, if you're an opponent, you're happy with Blake Griffin shooting three pointers, right? So as a as a Celtics fan, I don't want Blake shooting those threes. If Blake is giving us you know spot minutes, if Al's just having an off night or if Al's not there, that's fine. Right. You don't want to rely on Blake Griffin. Luke Cornett, on the other hand, I think could fill that role in which, you know, the Greg Monroe minutes in that one game. Mm-hmm. If Luke Cornett comes in and only has to play five minutes in a playoff game in the right situation, you know, where we're not going up against a small ball lineup or anything like that. They don't have um, a, a Steph Curry on the floor, you know, a Darius Garland, a Donovan Mitchell, someone that can get him in a switch and just destroy him. We put Luke Cornett on Russell Westbrook in that in in the overtime period I love that, there. By the way, that was, it was, love, it was love, such a great move. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Ime made a great. De- I mean, not Ime. Uh, Coach Joe made a great decision when three minutes left in the game. I just tweeted out: "Missoula's had a rough trip," and he finally makes a decision that I agreed with on the trip, where he reinserted Luke into the lineup. He put him on the corner shooter, which for the most part was Westbrook, and we were able to scram out any. um anybody in a pick and roll, right? So it was mostly Jason Tatum and Grant Williams. Anthony Davis comes up to set the screen. He had just been exposing us, getting, you know, in, in the pick and roll game there. And what we did was we held him up, rolling to the rim. Luke came over from the baseline, took the roll man, and then we scrammed out Tatum or, or Grant to a weak side corner a three-point shooter, sometimes a strong side corner three-point shooter. And we were able to get that matchup that we wanted. And Luke going up against Anthony Davis showed me a lot. And this is what... I see Luke's role being in in certain playoff matchups. If mm-hmm. there is a Joel Embiid, if there is an Anthony Davis, if there's someone that is just big and we want to just kind of show them a different look where they can't just shoot right over the top of Luke cuz he's 7 foot 2 tallest American born player in the NBA. It's going to make a difference, and it did down the stretch against Davis, although Davis had that one freakish uh, fadeaway jump shot on him. For the most part, it just made him think a little bit more, and it's going to make life a little bit more difficult on some of these teams. So I think Luke can play those minutes and and do just fine, but I agree with you. If Robert Williams is not healthy, it's probably our big man rotation with Grant being the fourth big in that situation with a small ball five. I don't know that's going to hold up. So that brings mm-hmm. me to the one guy who's been rumored out there to be available um, on the San Antonio Spurs, Jakob Pertl. His contract, I was surprised when I looked at it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was looking at the wrong thing, but it says $9.4 million. expiring yeah, right. mm-hmm. deal this year. Very gettable contract. Good defensive player. Um, has great analytics on on his ability to guard the paint. What are your thoughts on the Celtics going after a Pertl? Do you think that's too much to go after is that the right type of guy we need because we have the Gallinari contract and we could just package somebody else with Gallinari and we could get that deal done
0: so that's that's kind of the caveat to this and the Jacob Pertle aspect of this throws another wrinkle into it because I know that there is a form of restriction for Gallinari actually being involved in that spe- that specific deal because okay. he technically came from the Spurs because he was traded in the DeJounte Murray deal released by the Spurs so I don't know if there's an expiration date within the season in which it makes him possible but that mm-hmm. kind of leads to the, the the point that I was going to end on with this with this part of the segment here is that finding that trade's really difficult without that Gallinari piece. If a team is willing to cuz remember Gallinari has a player option for his 6.8 6. million next year. So it's not he's not just an expiring contract, he's a contract that a team is going to take on and he's going to pick up that that 6.8 next year coming off, you know, an ACL injury. He's going to pick that up. So for a team to take that on, you're going to be taxed on on that whether that's a first round pick, whether that's adding on Peyton Pritchard and, and that's where it gets to I don't know that this is a problem that I would go ahead and break up my top guys for and I don't know if Peyton Pritchard just based on his salary and where his value at you can't really get much in return for a guy that makes 2 point just under 2.3 million so that's where in the TPE the Celtics have is right around the gallinari contract and it's there's not a ton of guys that are going to fit that so that's where this gets a little bit tough is how do you get to A place where it's going to have to make sense and and so i think is an interesting candidate And i think if it was available if there's and like i said this is where we need to you know throw up the the bat signal for for keith smith here to come in and and tell Mm -hmm. us when that is eligible or not eligible well
1: i'm i'm looking just a quick search on the internet there was an article on si.com late november and it said it doesn't say anything about an expiration date but basically we would need to facilitate a three-team deal to make that happen
0: yeah, so, so it's, it's going to be even – just the entire point is it's a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. when you get to that. I think Pearl's a great option because I think he's a guy that's probably even a little bit more advanced than what I'm thinking of for this third role. So I think I think that would be a fantastic fit. But I, I mean I think – and that's the point that, that ultimately this comes down to of it probably being a little bit irrelevant is are you actually going to find someone that's sub $6 million out there in a trade that's going to be better? than luke cornet yeah i don't don't think you and and, and i don't and that's and that's the point where where it would be really tough unless it's some type of brad stevens three team trade something that we can't even foresee right now and so it may not matter but i think it's something that just to keep an eye out as we get to trade season and we start to hear of who's available and at least you know keep your ear to the ground about what potentially could work as of right now, I would say until we see what we, we are getting from Rob Williams, and hopefully that's coming up on this homestand, That's something to just keep in the back of your mind, but nothing that I think is an immediate need to move forward with. Also, on this trip here, and Greg, do we want to do wanna do we want to stay? We have we have kind of a lineup here, but there's a couple different ways that we could go. Do you want me to, to jump around the list of what I think is most appropriate next? Or should we stick with the the list how we have it here in the notes? Um, up to you. Do your thing. You're the host. Well, let's do this. Let's let's go to the, let's stick on the topic of big man's here for a minute okay. just while we're, we're on there. And let's go to Al Horford. So Al Horford has missed basically the entirety of this trip. I believe he played in the Brooklyn game to start the series and then has been out the remaining five games uh, with COVID and then having giving birth is uh, well, not him, but his wife giving birth to their <laughs> to their new baby daughter. That'd be pretty impressive if he, if he, if he gave birth as well.
1: Hey, If anybody but, could do it, Al Horford could.
0: I know, what what can't Al Horford do? But I, I think one of the things that we've learned is how valuable Al Horford is to this team. And so the question that I, I want to pose here, and, and we can frame it as, is Al Horford the most irreplaceable person on this team?
1: Well, we've touched on it a little bit in that previous conversation But Blake Griffin can do a a reasonable facsimile of Al Horford on the offensive end, but Al's really the only big that can do what Al does on the defensive end. Obviously, Rob is a better rim protector. Grant can move his feet a little bit better against certain guards. He's a better screen navigator than Al Horford, but the ability to guard a big, like an Anthony Davis or a Joel Embiid, and then switch onto a guard, chase down blocks from behind just communication, positional defense, everything that Al Horford offers on the defensive end, he's the only person on the team that does that, right? And the analogy I like to use is with a great offensive lineman in the NFL. The whole game plan is going to rely around that big six foot eight left tackle, right? And you don't realize how much you rely on that left tackle until you're without him. And once you're without him, you realize this doesn't work without him. And that's how I feel about Al Horford is I don't think, the Celtics can win a championship without Al Horford in the lineup. Like he needs to have a prominent role. This is why I think it's so important that we extended him for a couple more years because he's aging like a fine want and he's still doing everything that he was doing, even his first stint in Boston. He looks just as good as he did back then. There hasn't really been much slippage there. Um, obviously you can't do it, he can't bounce back the way he used to bounce back as his body's getting older. But that's why it's so important to think about that third big man and whether in that big man rotation, because mm-hmm. Al at his peak with rest, we saw it last year in the finals, is great when he's a little bit tired. That shot can go, he can get exposed a little bit on the defensive end. You have to rely on him for over 30 minutes a night. You don't really want that to happen. But Al Horford, I to answer your question. 100% is irreplaceable. I don't know if he's the most important player on the team or the most irreplaceable person on the team, but he's definitely up there. Um, everything yeah. that he does, uh, he's like the uh, the foundational piece, the cornerstone. Once you take that away, the, the whole foundation can crumble.
0: Yeah, it gets a little wobbly. And, and I mean... Obviously, I, I feel like this goes without saying. The Jays are the most important players on the team. You know, yeah. so, so I mean, if, if one of the Jays goes down, that's when it's like, ah, oh, man, like, like it's, it's not there goes the season, but it is basically there goes the season. And so it's who's that, that next guy. And for me, it's Al Hofer, because when you look at the backcourt. You know, I've this is why I was such a big proponent of the Malcolm Brogdon trade. I think if you even have two of those three guys, you're going to be in pretty good shape. If obviously you prefer to have all three, the more talent, the better. But if you have two of those three guys and you're missing one for a little bit of time, I think you can get by. You know, with with Jalen and Jason, you need them to be healthy. And then after that, Al does so much, as you talked about. You laid it out perfectly about what he can do on the defensive end. I do think even on the offensive end, when you look at, you know, we talked about Blake Griffin, a lot of those open threes that he was taking towards the end of the trip. uh, the offense just didn't quite flow the same without that outlet of having Al Horford there. And then when you get Rob Williams back, he's going to be that vertical spacing. So it will be a, a different dynamic, but also a, a spacing element that wasn't there for this road trip, which has kind of led to the success of this team. And so just not having Al for, for these you know five consecutive games was a big, fat reminder. Man, this 36-year-old dude is super important to this team and what their goals are.
1: I just reminded me of uh, I think it was Game Two of the Finals. It may it may have been Game Three, but Al Horford had a great game early in the Finals, mm-hmm. right? And they were leaving him open, and he was hitting threes. And Draymond Green to start, I think it was Game Two, like pressured Al right from the jump, right? He was all over him out at the key, didn't let him do our little delay action, our dribble handoff, didn't let him get any open threes. And with a guy like Blake. You know, if we're talking about Blake taking some of Al's minutes in in a pinch, they're not going to respect him, right? They're going to dare Blake Griffin to shoot. And Al Horford, what he does, although he's not a great shooter, other teams still respect him and they still Mm -hmm. close out hard on Al Horford. With Blake, they're just never going to close out hard. It's like the same way that we looked at Russell Westbrook when we were playing the Lakers just recently. We were just like, hey, Russ, go ahead, shoot the ball. Oh, um, I probably shouldn't shoot the ball. Let me pass it. Well, he gets the ball back. And then he's like, I guess I kind
0: of have to shoot the ball. Oh, my God. Uh, And it just bricked it. I wish I remembered who it was. Someone had a great breakdown. Adam Taylor tweeted out to so go to, it wasn't Adam's breakdown, but it was someone that he had tweeted out uh, their breakdown. And there's a play in overtime. That is a really great, you know, that, that encapsulates everything that you're saying right now. So perfectly where LeBron is like, I can't dump the ball in Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook has already shot three straight bricks. I'm going to throw up this fade away from five feet behind the three point lines. I think that's our best option.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, to back, back to the discussion with Al, um, I would love to see, you know, on this seven-game homestand, right? Which we're we're gonna we're gonna get into in a little bit. What Al Hor- how the game changes with Al Horford back on the court? Because I'm expecting him to be like, I know that I, I had some personal stuff to take care of. I had COVID, but my guys missed me, and mm-hmm. I fully expect Al in the first the first game against the Magic on Friday night. I'm expecting Al to come out you know, shot out of a cannon and just do all the uncle
0: Al stuff that we love. Yeah. Uncle Al stays grilling. All right. With that, let's, let's take a quick break here. We're about, we're halfway through our list here. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with the final three things that we learned on this road trip. All right, Greg, let's, uh, it's time for some self-reflection for you boys here. So, about a week ago, maybe maybe two weeks ago at this point, time's all run together, folks. It's really, really difficult to keep track of. But a few episodes ago on Here with MB, we gave our best duos in the NBA list. And very quickly, w- did we get a dose of, I don't want to call it reality, but maybe a reality check, as the Celtics went up against a lot of the top duos that we left off of our list. So running up against the Golden State Warriors, we got a reminder, the Splash Brothers can still be a thing. We went up against the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard looked... Probably the best he's looked all season in that particular game, along with Paul George, and then of course we came up against Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who, to be fair to us, we did give a great deal of respect for, as we had them third and second on our list, respectively. So they were they were very much in that conversation. Uh, but the timing of it, Greg, do, do we need to to give ourselves a check here and and go back and maybe redo our our duos list just a few <laughs> just a few week or two after we dropped it.
1: Here's my question to you, and I think this is the most important question with this duo's conversation. Has your mind changed at the top of the list? Are Tatum and Brown the best duo in the NBA? Yes. Okay, then I think that's all that matters, right? Is uh, Coming out of this trip, are we still able to say, okay, against the best players in the world, I feel comfortable with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and running with that duo versus Kawhi Leonard versus Paul George, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson. Now, the Warriors team as a whole might be too much of a problem for the Celtics to handle. But when you're just comparing duos themselves, I I agree that Tatum and Brown still are at the top of the list. They showed that down the stretch against the Lakers. Jason Tatum just went God mode, and thankfully he did because the Celtics needed that, and we needed to end that trip 4-2 and and not 3-3. and Now, I think we do need to redo this list. The more I've thought about it, I think that— you know, the, the whole point of the list was to say, which duos are we most confident in, in mm-hmm. both members of that duo? I think this is something that maybe we didn't explain well enough on the pod. We touched on it a little bit, but we didn't delineate it enough, right? For, for a duo to be in our top five, both of the guys in that duo have to inspire confidence in us. This is why we didn't talk about Luca. Cause you could mm-hmm. say Luca and Christian Wood, or if or you wanted to, or, or, or Dan dim- yeah, somebody. But it's just Luca, and Luca can prop that duo up because of how great he is. But both members of the duo have to have the the right amount of talent and um, mental fortitude, the dog in them. So that, let's just get that out there. I still feel good about Tatum and Brown, LeBron and AD. Okay, now, Giannis and Middleton, Jimmy and Bam, Mitchell and Garland. I think we got to get Mitchell and Garland out of there in favor of the Splash Brothers.
0: I'm going to so here's the thing. I I actually don't agree with that only because th- that has not thus far since Klay Thompson has come back from his injury. So even dating back to last year now granted the Splash Brothers literally the first game they played together was when Steph got hurt against Marcus Smart last year. So until the playoffs, they didn't really have a chance to play together. So this is the first full regular season in 3 years that they're playing back to that they're playing together again. I mean, you look at the the, the the very next game. He goes six to sixteen in a very meh performance against the Bucks, and and the and, and the Warriors get blown out by the Bucks. So my point is, I do, I I don't think Clay. I think he can be that guy. I don't think he's consistently that guy enough that I feel bad about leaving them off of this list right now. By the end of the season, he has plenty of time to change my mind about that but i think thus far what i've seen clay is just inconsistently able to get back to the levels of clay that i still feel okay leaving them leaving them off of this list despite what they were able to do in that moment against the celtics a week ago
1: okay to that point let me just read you Darius garland's last four games we talk about garland cuz i think he's the, he's the person that we have to consider here
0: yeah 100% this is a garland versus thompson debate yeah. right now
1: last game against the the maps 12 points 6 assists against the spurs 18 points nine assists against the thunder 13 points eight assists against the kings 17 points six assists against the lakers 21 points 11 assists against the knicks 17 points three assists against the magic 18 points six assists and i'm just going down and there aren't a lot of great games out of garland he had that 51 point game and a 41 point game my question is are we sure that Garland really deserves to be there over clay? Cause I think, I think the answer is no, like we still have to give clay that respect. If Garland has been a supernova this year, as I thought he Mm -hmm. was going to be, he's been solid, but I don't think we can say that Darius Garland is for sure. Like far and away better than clay Thompson to the point where like they're in the dual conversation in the first place. And secondly, the gap between him and Clay is enough to make up for the gap between Mitchell and Steph. So that's my point. I think we gotta, we gotta have the Splash Brothers on there.
0: I think it's a fair point. I, I, I will, I'll say this: it's debatable. Either way, I don't know if we're going to solve this right now on this podcast. It's I want to solve it. it will. well, that's not how it works, Greg. So chill. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's a confirmed answer to it. I think you're right that it's a debate. Like, I don't think it's solid one way or the other. And because of to your point that you were making in the, you know, in your Luca point earlier in this, like Steph's the first, sec- maybe not the first, but the second or third best player in the entire NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's going to elevate what the level of that can be. I the one thing that leaves me hesitating is that even though Garland's been a little bit more ordinary than we would have expected this year, I think the the, the nights in which he is quote unquote ordinary, he still complements what that team needs, and, and he can still do things that help that team win. Whereas with Clay, when he's not the Clay that he can be, like he was against the Celtics. He really hurts that team. It really hurts that team when Clay is not up to the level. And they and both have solid teams around them. We know that the Warriors have had some bench problems, but we know that they both have great starting lineups. And so uh, I I think for me, it's I'm not ready to fully commit to it. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely willing to open to say it's a debate. I don't think it's you know case shut. It's this way or that way. Uh, but it's something I think we should keep an eye on and maybe towards the end of the year, just like we're doing with all NBA and with MVP. We'll come back to this duos list at another point this season and we'll give a re-ranking you know, and we'll, we'll look at it. But I think that fifth spot is entirely up for debate. And I think it's fair out of respect because the Splash Brothers, they deserve that. The Splash Brothers get the respect. So the debate is 100% definitely open.
1: Yeah, and with the Kawhi and PG thing, the whole point, you That's know, if, if if they're healthy, Kawhi and so, PG, they're obviously, they're probably the second best to own them. Yeah, league. Yeah, 100%. So Kawhi hasn't looked healthy. He looked great in that Clippers game. Um, if if he can play to that level, which isn't peak Kawhi, but it's pretty close, yeah. um, the, the, the Clippers are going to be just fine. They had another great game last night where both of them played well. I think both of them had around 20 points. PG had a triple-double. So for them, I think... They're definitely going to be on this list. We can do that re-ranking, as you said. And then the Jimmy and Bam thing, I was just thinking from like an outsider's perspective, someone who's more of a casual fan, Like they must have been like, what? Jimmy Butler and Bam had a bio over Joel Embiid and James Harden over KD and Kyrie Irving. When you've been through what we've been through as Celtics fans against those two guys, with bam blocking jason tatum yeah. at the rim in the bubble and doing what he did to daniel tight jimmy in the nearly
0: ripping our hearts out at the buzzer in game yeah, seven it, last year
1: it's just like they on a pure talent level like yeah they're they're probably not at the level of joe Embiid pete and james Harden, and katie and kyrie irving but this isn't just the talent conversation right this is yeah. the the guys that we're really really confident and we want to go to war with these guys so the for those people that are out there they're like oh who, who would i rather have Joel Embiid and james harden or jimmy butler and bam at bio really ask yourself in a playoff series which of those which of the duo would you rather have on your team because if james harden is james harden from three years ago maybe you know i, I think definitely you're going to take that duo yeah. but james harden just isn't really that guy anymore and same thing with Kyrie irving so once again for the duo to be in that top five, both guys have to be great and you have to feel really confident in them. And I just don't feel confident in Harden or Kyrie.
0: Yeah, we, we've besmirched the Heat enough on this podcast and they continue to come back. And I'm so done with playoff series with them that I'm hoping that if we just continue to compliment the Heat, they'll go away. So if we, if we don't act confident and we say that we're scared of the Heat or we praise the Heat, maybe that will result in us not playing the Heat in the seven game series. Because I am, for one, all for that. All right, let's go on to point four here, Greg. Or excuse me, this is point five that we're on now. I'm having trouble counting this morning. Point five that we're on, and this is one that you had already touched on a little bit earlier. So let's let's go four and two in the road trip, but we must remember Joe Missoula is a first year interim head coach, and it certainly felt like, especially towards the back half of that, specifically in that Golden State and Clippers, uh, Clippers games on this road trip, that. It felt like Joe Missoula was a little bit of an interim head coach. But to be fair to his credit, we've already talked about the great adjustment he made at the end of the Lakers game, which went from choke job to comeback, as we talked about. Um, so what were your thoughts on on Joe Missoula, Greg? As you look through these six games and we're still trying to figure out, you know, w- who Joe Missoula is. And we've, you know, we're, we're just kind of it's an evolving process. We went through this with Emae last year where we were at our wits end. And then by the time the Celtics turned it around and made the finals run, we were praising the guy left and right. So where are you at with Joe Mazzulla? and what did you learn from these last six games? I think he's a
1: victim of his own success and the expectations that we now have for our first year coaches with Ime doing a great job last year and with the success that he's had at the beginning of the year where he took like quite frankly a sinking ship and he plugged all the holes and had that thing sail in the sea you know joe mazula was was looking great as a coach over the first month of the season he wins coach of the month in his first month as an nba head coach so as uh, for me personally and i'm I'm imagining most celtics fans felt this way we're like wow did we really strike gold again like back-to-back years first year currently
0: the betting favorite for coach of the year right now joe mazula
1: yeah, it's just insane. So like when he looks like an interim first year head coach, as he did on this road trip at times, it, it's almost a good thing, right? Because it we're like, man, he's done such a good job that when he looks overmatched in a coaching head to head, you know, with a guy like Steve Kerr, with a guy like Ty Lue, you're able to be like, okay. Like we're so lucky that he's been as good as he's been because there's a world in which this season just the Celtics are 500 or the Celtics are the the Raptors where we're talking about blowing up the team again, you know, and it just hasn't been that way. So the you know, biggest takeaway from this road trip is that I'm very happy Joe Missoula is the coach of this team. Now, let's get into some of the bad stuff here. The the minutes he doesn't need to be playing these guys as many minutes as he's playing in the Clippers game. I think I saw you tweet something out where he just had guys in the game when the game was clearly over
0: and we should have just had the game was over with about eight, nine minutes left. The Mm -hmm. starters were in that game until about, I think it was three thirteen or so with a, with knowing that there's a game the next night coming and that team just did not have it that night. That was infuriating to watch to watch Missoula continue to leave that team in for sure. And then we have, you know, the lack of
1: timeouts, the obvious challenges that he can win that he just decides not to. and he just doesn't use challenges, which is really, really frustrating, even in big moments. timeout hoarding, all the stuff that we've talked about, it's just. I I just don't get it. I'm not sure what's going through his mind. If this is just his philosophy, and he's like, you know what, I just don't call timeouts. This is just not what I do. And he he did. I think he called a good timeout. I think it was in the fourth quarter of that Lakers game. It may have been in the Mm -hmm. third, where he was really he he recognized that man things are really getting away from us. I don't think a couple more possessions of the way we're playing are gonna get it done. So maybe what it comes down to for Joe is, is if he likes in general the shots that we're getting and the way that we're playing on the offensive end. He's going to roll the dice with our offense just being better than their offense and their defense. But in games in which Missoula ball just goes out the window, where we forget that that's a choice that we can make Mm -hmm. and we can play the right way, maybe he's going to be more likely to use those timeouts. So when you think about it, the fact that he hasn't been using timeouts is probably just the result of us playing such otherworldly offense. And now that we're kind of reverting back to some ISO ball tendencies that we saw last year in the playoffs under Ime. Maybe he's going to be more willing to use those timeouts. But what were your what were your thoughts on Joe?
0: Well, I, well, I think this kind of goes back to a, the the very first point we made. This team's not invincible. This team, you know, is going to have moments where they struggle. And like you said, there were there were times during this season, in this early stretch of the season, where it was like you or I or anyone listening could theoretically kind of have been the coach because the offense is just like the offense is going to take care of everything. All all problems that we have are going to go away because, listen, you can say what you want that our defense isn't the same as last year. The team on the other side there is not scoring 130 points, and you got to score 130 points at a certain point to, to beat this team. And so this has really been Joe Missoula's first time kind of digging into, okay, what does this look like when this team isn't hitting shots? What does this look like when the team is fatigued and they're they're doing those things that we talked about earlier? Or they're not doing those things that we talked about earlier, knowing that they should be moving, that they should be passing the ball a certain way. You know, what does that look, what does that look like at the end of the game when I need to make a you know or be put in a situation where i have to make a tough rotational decision or i have to make the move like he did with luke cornet playing him at the end of the game you know, shading him off of whether it's Russell Westbrook or Lonnie Walker to go ahead and, and shade that role, man, and Anthony Davis, be able to scram and make that switch. You know, these are the first times as a rookie interim head coach, very important, rookie interim head coach who's 34 years old. He's our age. He's literally the same age as the two doofuses on this podcast that are talking. Like, he he could be right here in the third window, and he, and he fits our time frame as, as to who we are. And so, you know, you have to remember those things with Joe Mizzou. This is really the first set of tests so you know i think it's just like we talk about with different players getting you know their reps it's good for joe missoula to get the reps i think you could even see with the move he made at the end like with that luke Cornet move that's a little bit of evolution just within you know this road trip of like okay i can't just go to you know what we got to try something different here or we're not going to be able to you know he saw the the writing on the wall with the comeback with you know what was working what wasn't working and he made an adjustment and he deserves full credit for it. It was a great adjustment that helped the Celtics get back in that game and, and get that victory. But it is an area that we do need to keep seeing you know, growth from from Joe Missoula. And you talked about the minutes. One guy that I'm, I'm sneaking in here, a point that I had on, on my own personal list, I feel like we need to see more Malcolm Brogdon. He's averaging right now 23.3 minutes per game. That's seventh on the team, basically last out of all of the core rotation players, minus Sam Hauser. And part of that is, is certainly, and I'm, I'm with this, conserving him for the long run. And so you're trying to cut down his minutes, which was an issue in Indiana, him staying healthy as the main guy. But for there to be a 10-minute disparity between him and Marcus Smart, that doesn't... And I'm using Marcus Smart as an example. not saying it's directly coming from Marcus Smart's minutes, But that feels a bit heavy, and I do think there was times on this road trip, specifically in the two games the Celtics lost, where there could have been a little bit more Malcolm Brogdon to help right the ship. And I wonder if that's something that Joe Mazzulla could look to, is to lean on Malcolm Brogdon at different times more than he has thus far in the season.
1: Yeah. And I I think you would agree with this point. You'd rather see 75 games of Malcolm Brogdon at 23 minutes than 50 games of Malcolm Brogdon at 33 minutes.
0: 100%. 100%.
1: Right. So like we're conserving him. And I think we all realize that that was the biggest concern when we got Malcolm Brogdon, when at, when our first conversation with Adam, where he almost stopped being a Celtics fan, (laughs) uh, when we got Brogdon just because of Brogdon's injury concerns, but Brogdon's a great player. And I, I think that Missoula can pick and choose a little bit more of Malcolm Brogdon. Maybe not 30 minutes, maybe not 30 minutes a night. Maybe it's 25 minutes a night, finding two extra minutes mm-hmm. for Brogdon to be on the court. He plays well with Tatum for sure. He's definitely looked, um he was a little shaky on this road trip. He wasn't great on the road trip, but he did have some moments where it's like, ooh, Brogdon needs to be in the game because he's just a consistent source of offense. We talked about it, I think, on the last pod. Oh, he probably should have been in the game down the stretch against the Warriors. And he just Mm -hmm. wasn't now with smart. I think the way that smart plays, he's likely to get hurt too. And he's likely to wear down too. So to me, that's the bigger point is the 10 minute difference between smart and Brogdon, man, we need to get some of those minutes for smart down as well. Like smart should be playing 28 minutes a night to 30 minutes a night, not 33 to 36. And, you know, maybe it's some Peyton Pritchard minutes. Maybe Missoula is just like it doesn't matter game to game. Maybe I can give these guys some days off here and there, and that's more important than getting minutes down. Who knows? I, I'm not really sure wh- what the what the coach is thinking and what the medical staff is thinking as well. But I agree, the overall point of I would like to see 25, 26 minutes a night out of him, and maybe a couple games where we just see him on the court the last last two minutes of the game, just yes. to just I to have you know. it. He doesn't need to play the last six minutes. He doesn't need to play the last six minutes of the game, the last eight minutes of the game. But the last two minutes of the game, let's try having him out there on the court because he's a great player.
0: And that was going to be my last point on this is that I think a guy like Malcolm Brogdon is someone that, you know, going back to our, our podcast right after the Warriors game, when we left the finals and then we got Malcolm, I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to solve a lot of problems. Well, he can't solve a lot of problems from the bench. So there's going to be certain times where yes, you want to conserve him overall. And that's why I agree. I, I don't really have a huge plan with the minutes per game thing. It's more select it, within certain context. Malcolm Brown should have a game where he probably plays 35 minutes and maybe is part of the closing unit. And it's because you need to, I think, have And you and I talked about this. The Jays are written in stone. If they're if they're playing, they're written in stone in that final five. After that, it it should be. And I think in both of our opinions, you know, matchup dictated who are you playing outside of the Jays? Is it Rob? Is it Al? Is it Rob and Al? Is it grant time? Is it Marcus and Derek? Is it Marcus and Brogdon? Is it white and Brogdon? I think that needs to be a little bit more flexible. And I think I would love to see what Brogdon looks like a little bit more in these really tight games. And I think you have to see it a few times in the regular season to feel good about it in the playoffs. And so I I want, just like we're talking about Missoula getting those reps, I would like to see him give Brogdon a few more reps down the stretch, especially in games where it feels like he kind of has it going early and maybe ride that for a little bit um and that was one of the things in the clippers games he had a great first half and then saw the saw the floor for only eight minutes in the second half and never really got it going again and i don't know if that was going to save that game because that game was kind of a disaster all the way through but point being could have been an opportunity to to let malcolm brogdon see if he's on a heater and, and, and ride that out a little bit more than what he's done so far this season
1: yeah and that brings us to our last point right the marcus smart experience um love and trust we always talk about the love and trust the classic brad quote and it's for better or for worse with marcus when we see the end of the game against the lakers i think i touched on this at the beginning of the pod where i texted you literally like marcus needs to take a seat because he was just playing he's playing like a doofus like i don't know what the right <laughs> word is on a pod in which i'm not going to swear but He just wasn't making great decisions throughout this road trip. And once again, we talk about Joe and like victim of his own success. I feel like that's how I feel about Marcus as well this year. He's gone to a whole nother level as a decision maker and Mm -hmm. a playmaker where he's looked the best he's ever looked. And I'm like, Marcus, you can play this way every game. You don't have to take, you know, four, three pointers in the first quarter and just take early in the shot clock threes. You can probe the defense. Um, you can you can just like be the really heady player that you are on a more consistent basis. So when he doesn't do it in the biggest games, that's what worries me. Because you know Marcus wants to win so bad, sometimes he's just like, I can win just by pure indomitable will. That's how he feels. And it's like, yes, that is your superpower. And mm-hmm. you can tap into that at certain points like he did at the end of the Lakers game. But for the Celtics to reach championship heights he needs to stay composed he needs to be that pure point guard on the floor the coach on the floor and if he's not doing that I don't really know who else on the team is capable of just like settling the troops and getting everybody back into place so like I hear the arguments that you can't take smart off the floor because he's the one guy that I really really trust to get everyone into place and we've seen him do that all year but there's just some games where it doesn't look like he's going to do that you know, yeah. and he's just gonna revert back to old Marcus, which is just a roller coaster ride, you know, and we saw that in the yeah, Lakers. Game. It still
0: exists. The, the the Marcus roller coaster has not been shut down. It is seasonally still available for those who want to go ahead and take that experience. And that Lakers game was was the ultimate culmination of it. You know, we we both had moments where we tweeted or texted each other about Marcus's play. And immediately he did something that was like, all right, there's, there's the Marcus that I want to see. So it, it is a little bit of, uh, of give and take when it comes to Marcus. And you look at just these last, last, uh, last couple of games, I think he missed the first game on the, on the road trip, but played the remaining five, you know, his assist compared to the season total down by two so down, you know, a little bit lower than what he had turnovers up slightly, not by much, but a half percentage point. But I think just, you know, anecdotally, when I watch the Celtics, it feels a little bit like that ball movement comes and goes a little bit with, with Marcus Smart being the head of that snake. And so when the ball is zipping around and everyone's seeming to make good decisions, efficient decisions, quick decisions, Marcus Smart's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. When that breaks down, it also seems to correlate with Marcus Smart being a big part of that. And you know he's been a much different guy since he's been given the keys to be the point guard, like you just kind of laid out and talked about. But then you hit one point that when the biggest moments come, I can't help but think game seven against the Heat last year, big time, not really the, the best Marcus Smart moments of the season. You look at the Warriors series in the finals, a lot of Marcus Smart moments where, and you know, to a certain level, the sellers were basically going about six and a half people deep at a certain point. We just couldn't get offense going. I kind of understood, but it also was a little bit of that. All right. I'm going to step up and get this. And sometimes that works out. It didn't work out in the finals, but sometimes it does. It has its moments where it works out. And so the Marcus Smart experience is still alive, even if it's not. And this is the biggest part, because like we said, there are times you're going to benefit from the Marcus Smart experience. It doesn't poke its head out as often. But I do think it is something that is noticeable that in some of these marquee matchup these big moments because marcus loves the moment He's, he wants that moment if you're playing mm-hmm. pickup ball and it's you know game to 12 win by two and it's tied up at 11 you know who wants that shot right mm-hmm. you, you know who's, which is great. Who's calling hands up yeah i love having a guy with that with that confidence but it's being selective with it and we do see it rear its head seemingly more times than not when it's a big abc matchup against the warriors tnt against the lakers or whatever it might be and it does give me a little pause for caution when it comes to the playoffs but not enough that i think it's a a, a massive deal but just a reminder that that experience does still exist
1: yeah at the end of the day the scales are going to balance in the favor of marcus smart being great and marcus is our guy don't get it twisted we're riding and we're dying with marcus smart and you know i i think At the end of that Lakers game, we just saw everything that Marcus can be with that heady steal that he got to get the Celtics, I think, to eight or six, um, just when it looked like we didn't really have a chance to win the game. Hits a three-pointer, hits a floater, finds Grant for an, an open three. Just looked, he was making all the right decisions. And that's really all you want Marcus to do at the end of the game, is just make the right decisions. I was... When he took that three pointer, when he had that great uh, ghost screen and the mm-hmm. Lakers just decided not to cover him, he kind of has to take that shot.
0: yeah, that's um, yeah, and
1: do. and I'm okay with him taking that shot, especially when Anthony Davis is lurking around the rim in that game, like the Celtics just didn't really want to drive against a d. But in general, the point that you were making earlier, Marcus's how kind of the way that the Celtics play is based off of how Marcus plays, especially early in the game, when he's taking quick shots and he's not looking to pump and and you know hockey assist or mm-hmm. um, drive and kick and just keep that, that train moving, it seems like everybody else kind of falls into early shots as well. And that's a lot of pressure to put on Marcus, but once again, victim of his own success, We want we know that he can do it, right? So we just want to see him do it as consistently as possible, and I believe that he will.
0: Yeah, I think he will too. Like like you said, I'm willing to bet on on Marcus Smart. I'm absolutely yeah. willing to bet on Marcus Smart. That's our guy. But it is just something to to keep in mind. Once again, I always will say this: it's, we're in the end game, folks. So it's all about when that moment could rear its head. So it's something to certainly keep an eye on. But at the end of the day, hell of a six game road trip. Celtics finish four and two, currently twenty two and seven, and now they are set up for a seven game home. So an extended two-week homestand that will take the Celtics through the end of 2022 so that will start out this Friday with Orlando and they'll have a mini series with Orlando. So it will be Friday against Orlando followed up by Sunday and then the remainder of that week against Indiana against Indiana and Minnesota and then Christmas Day the big big matchup against the milwaukee bucks who are 20 and 7 at the time of this recording second place in the east second place in the nba followed up by houston in a rematch with the la clippers to round out the homestand so greg as you look at these seven games i'm going to assume the game that you're most looking forward to or that's going to be the most meaningful is going to be that christmas day matchup with the bucks is that is that is that likely true Oh, of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you,
1: you want to see with the, the Bucks being fully healthy Middleton back in the lineup. Um, we can revisit that duo conversation again then, but you want to see the Celtics You just like, I think the Warriors have the Celtics number. I feel like the Celtics have the bucks number and that we feel confident in that matchup. And they're kind of looking up at us right now, rather than even just looking across the room at each other. I -hmm. think that we're the better team and I think they know it and they, they have something to prove in that game. And I think the Celtics still want to have that mental edge over the bucks. And we've kind of had that the entire time. Giannis has been, um, Giannis has been there and been great, you know, with Al, giving Giannis problems early in his career the only time they really got the better of us was that weird Kyrie year that we've talked about so many times i i just think we're the better team and we just have more weapons than they do but other do you want to do you want to give any thoughts on the bucks game
0: no i think we're going to touch on that we'll probably do a bigger preview of that game that'll be one of the probably the last podcast we do before a little bit of that that christmas break so i'm sure we'll touch on it obviously i think that's an extremely exciting matchup uh, you know, but I touched on it. I, I think it's really interesting. Some of this young talent that's coming yeah, in excited. over this. So I mean, you look at Orlando, right? Of course, we have Paolo coming in, Franz Wagner, and the Bull Bull experience. I can't get enough of of Bull Bull. And I fell into a trap earlier in this year where I watched a ton of Magic early in the season as they started to kind of you know put themselves you know even though they're exciting put themselves towards the back of the pack. I've kind of weaned well, off. Well, Paolo was bit. out for a while. Well, Paolo was out for a while for sure, and so there. That's part of their resurgence here. Winning four straight coming in to the Garden, but I think between that, between the youngsters on Indiana with Halliburton, Mathrin, um, you know, Aaron Smith, yeah,
1: Neesmith, baby,
0: Smith tribute video coming in hot, <laughs> um, and then you know, so I think that's a really exciting time to number one get a look at some of this young talent, but also it should be a time for the Celtics to be able to to figure some things out. Even though it's not going, I'm not trying to say it's going to be easy, but these are some teams that I think the Celtics should be able to write themselves a little bit or, or correct themselves towards the team that we saw maybe two weeks ago on this extended homestand. So I think this is kind of a perfect timing of being able to see some of these elite young guys in the league, but also Mm -hmm. a good time for the Celtics as a team.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to see Fultz. Um, Fultz has been playing for the magic Bull Bull.
0: Jalen Suggs has been having some moments. You're my guy,
1: my guy Bull bowl. You know, I, or probably about a month ago when he first started doing his thing, I tweeted out. I was like, "If we just put these highlights in Europe right now, wouldn't we just be saying the same thing about Bowl Bowl that we're saying about Wemby?" That's what and Paulo it, said. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like more and more people have kind of been seeing that as well. I I, I want to take credit as the first person that I saw <laughs> tweet that out.
0: Uh, but we'll, we'll have to I, check the archives on that. We'll, we'll 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 get research on that.
1: Yeah, we will. We will. But I think. You know, with the magic, they're just a really fun team. I think Franz is 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 a very solid player. And what's funny about the magic is like they're doing all the stuff that the Raptors are trying to do, but like bigger and with more top-end talent. You know, <laughs> like they they if the Raptors gotta be looking at them like, dang, they're doing it at six eleven. We're trying to do it at <laughs> six seven, six eight. So I'm excited to see the magic. Um, I think the game that other than the Bucks game against the Pacers, going up against a great pick-and-roll point guard like Tyrese Halliburton to see how our defense handles that after not playing well against pick-and-roll the entire road trip. I would love to see us go up against the Pacers. Pacers are one of my favorite teams in the NBA. But seven-game home homestand uh, after this six-game road trip. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure the guys are, too.
0: Before we get out of here, what is your prediction for the seven-game homestand? Give me a record.
1: Five and two. I think we lose uh one of the two to the magic, and I think we lose to the Pacers.
0: Ooh, okay. So early struggles is your prediction for for this homestand. Very interesting. I'm going the opposite way. I, I think this is gonna be a, a, a we look at this here. Two games against Orlando, Pacers, T-Wolves, Bucks, Rockets, Clippers. I think they split out of the Bucks and Clippers, and I think they actually win the rest. So I'm going six and one the Celtics on this homestand. I thought five and two originally, but I, I I'm very surprised that you see them struggling, losing potentially two out of these first three uh, based on your prediction coming out here. But we'll have to see these young teams are frisky. These young teams are hungry. Uh, I think the Celtics are going to be excited to be back home. They're going to be rested. So I expect a, a, a big, a big home stand out of the Celtics here. Greg goes five and two. I go six and one. We'll see. We're going to be back here after this Orlando double series or Orlando home series here Friday and Sunday. We will be back after the game on Sunday to break it all down for you and look ahead to the rest of the week with Indiana and Minnesota. Greg, any final thoughts before we go ahead and get on out of here?
1: Um, No final thoughts. Looking forward to this homestand. And I'm going to send you out today with a sneak peek at a new track. Um, this one is called Get This High. It's probably going to release, I don't know, March, April or something like that. But we got our first Ooh, this like, was a real sneak peek. Yeah, but I'm, I'm only going to play the first, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds of it. Um, I do drop a great Jason Tatum reference in this song. I don't know if that's going to make the cut in terms of the first 30 seconds or not. But I'm excited wow. about this. Well, one. W-
0: we'll wait to give the people what they're really looking for and then take <laughs> it right away from them.
1: So, we're going to play you out with a sneak peek at a new track from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We are called Black Sheep Optimus. This is unreleased called Get This High. Peace, everybody. Peace. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more until I hit the You, I find You don't take much, no more until I'm at your door. What Can I say you got me on the floor? You know, I came to play. I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away And every time I score Jason Tatum fade away I close my eyes and I'm floating in your river. I call to see if you open, you know, I hope you deliver Every time you get in close, I still be sick with the shivers, but there's nothing like that first time I still remember the first time I saw you You were looking so fine